As you know, if you've been here long enough, you know that uh, we never come like into the summer months and just say, well, it's the summer. Therefore, in what we do in worship or what we do in message series or what we do, we're just going to take a little breather, take a little break, come up for air and take our foot off the gas a little bit. We never really do that because there are so many exciting things that we can talk about. And, uh, and we're going to do that in the month of June. So I'm glad that you are here as we go on what I believe is going to be a fantastic journey that we're going to travel on. And we're calling this series, uh, Jesus uh, Greater Than Religion. And the title probably, and I'll go ahead and give this up early, probably does not make a lot of sense to you right now. But I'm confident that as we navigate through this together for the next uh, four weeks, counting today, I think it's going to make a lot more sense for you. There's something that I'm thinking about, and those of you that know me uh, closely, in fact, I, I, did a, I did a wedding for some long-term friends, their child, actually their child. This is how you know you're getting older when you do a wedding ceremony uh, for a child that you once did their baby dedication. <laughs> how many of you know that means you're getting older? And so this young lady, and again, uh, we've known her parents as our friends for over uh, 25 years now. And remember when she was born, remember going to the hospital to see her and, um, you know, remember doing her baby dedication. And then yesterday, it's just, wow, time is flying, doing her wedding up into various beautiful setting. But uh, while I was there, I was just talking to some people during some uh, gaps of time, some people and just sharing with them because they have some questions, you know, what do you do, you know, and I know some of these, some of these I know more informally or casually, and tell us a little bit, you know, I always want to know what people are doing uh, with their life, what are they doing with their career, and so that question was sort of turned on me, and one of the things that I mentioned uh, that I love about our church is I love in so many different segments of our church the diversity that is represented in all kind of different ways. One of the things I love about uh, our church is the diversity in terms of spiritual formation, where people are at. I shared that with them. You know, that we've got people sitting in the crowd every week, theologically speaking, that are a lot smarter than I am. And I'm just, you know, thankful to God that they'll show up and listen each and every week. And I'm thankful for that. And I told them that, you know, you can take and go down eight seats in that row and you've got somebody that they don't even know if they want to have a relationship with Jesus yet. So the diversity, even spiritually, uh, of our church, I just, I love that. And I share with them really a passion, something that God, because I think it's really God that has deposited this into my heart, is... Um, you know, what do, we, what do we do about people that are drifting from God? See, a lot of you, that you're just steadfast, you know, this is grip, uh, scriptures mentioned, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God. You're like, you're just like a strong oak tree, and you're not wavering, and you're not going to bend, you're not going to break. You may bend, but you're not going to break. I mean, your roots in Christ are so deep that I don't really worry about you. What I worry about, to be quite honest with you, is people who walk away and they are, you know, they don't have a good foundation for whatever reason, uh, or it concerns me because I've been around long enough now to see that we've got a lot of our church kids that they, they grow up 
and they're under the influence of a great mom and dad or a great mom or a great dad, and, and then they, they go off, and they're on their own, and they're taking different paths, and it's a lot of times they leave their childhood faith behind. You know, my prayer for them, because I see countless ones, and there may be those of you that are like that in this uh, service even today, that, um, you know, you lived you know, with your mom and dad going to church and then you got older and you're like, I don't even know if this is good for me or right for me. And, and uh, I don't even know what I believe. You know, I embrace the faith of my parents. I went to church because my parents had me go to church. But now that you're sort of doing your own thing, you're not even sure where you're at in matters of faith. And, and for you, I think a lot about you and I pray a lot uh, for you. And I want to talk really, especially during this series to a lot of you. And then I've got this other equation going on that people that that it did seem that they were deeply entrenched. And this one becomes a little more personal for me because in the life of my own dad, who just seemed personally just deep in his relationship with Christ, or at least that's how it appeared to me when I was young and growing up a child. And then just seeing my dad bots up, I don't know of any other way to say it, is just bots up his faith and push it aside and for years, even, you know, when I became a Christian as a teenager and just having these conversations with my dad and uh, my dad, um, he wasn't like a lot of people. He wasn't angry with God. A lot of people, you know, a lot of times we assume people who aren't coming to church, they've got to be angry with God or they're upset with God. Dad was never angry with God. A lot of people I know that have botched up their faith, have just put it on a shelf somewhere. They're not angry with God. It's not like they uh, stop believing that Jesus is the son of God. It's not like they're, you know, that they are disenchanted necessarily with the body of Christ. It's just like, you know, they just lose their faith, it seems. They stop believing. And a lot of times I just, whether it's a young person that just sort of gets out on their own and they're not going to church the way they did and they're not embracing the parents' faith as they were raised, you know, I just ask, well, I wonder what happened. What is their story? People like my own dad who just go into drift mode for years before dad ever came back, you know, to Christ. Why did he walk away? Why did they bots up their faith? And, um, you know, I, I think about that a whole lot. And so that's why I'm glad that together we're going to be uh, in this series, uh, because I believe that a lot of people would like to get their faith back. And a lot of people that I run in con in, into and have conversations with, they would like to have the simple faith of their parents or grandparents, but for some reason, it just went away, and a lot of people don't know how to get it back again. And there actually is, when you think about it, there actually is uh, kind of this pain in not believing, a loneliness when God is not uh, in the sort of the epicenter and the target of a person's life. And, and maybe you... And maybe you, and I hope so, you know, that you are here, number one. And if you are, that you're listening up. Maybe you're one of those people and you're like, hey, you're not talking about somebody out there. You're talking about me. And maybe for you, somewhere along the way, and maybe nobody else knows it that is in near proximity to your life as a friend or otherwise, that they don't realize that you have uh, maybe lost your faith or you're losing it. And these days you're just going through uh, the motions. And it's like, you know, you don't know what you believe or your faith feels weak. And again, it's sort of like muscle memory. When you do certain things long enough, you develop a muscle memory. And it's like you're merely going through the motions of something that you're not even sure that you believe anymore. And I think that most of us would agree as, you know, obviously in the topic that we're going to be talking about in the month of June, the word religion. And I think most of us would agree that it's rather easy uh, if you want to, to build a case.
case against religion. Um, a lot of you, probably most all of you, have studied history. And if you've studied history with some measure of depth, you know that some terrible things uh, over the years throughout history have occurred. Uh, terrible things that have happened, uh, and some of those things uh, in actually the name of religion. And throughout time, there have been those who have abused the scriptures, and there have been those who have manipulated people or have hurt people or have hurt uh, meaningful causes under the banner, all under the banner of religion, just even manipulating God or trying to manipulate God. And we've just seen a lot of things, and we're like, why? And don't understand, and how, do I, how does that all fit in? And so we need to talk about this, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, and so I'm glad that we're going to be having the opportunity in this month, the month of June, uh, to talk about it. Now, lest we become judgmental or we become uh, proud or sanctimonious and we're like, hey, we got it together and I know you're talking about, uh, uh, the reality is all of us in our own ways, if, if we admit it, we try to manipulate God from time to time, don't we? I mean, even some of the prayers that we pray, it's like, God, I know better than you, or I think I know better than you, and I know what I want. I'm praying that, that uh, what I want will happen. And so, God, if I do this, a little bit of that, pray a little bit of this, then somehow, God, you're going to feel obligated. And, and we can ourselves almost get into this uh, role of, of trying to manipulate God and persuade God because there are certain things that we want God to do. Now, how many of you know uh, that football season is right around the corner. I had a Tennessee fan. I was uh, walking by him in the gym one day this week, and he looked at me, and I can't remember how many days. I think I'm a college fan. This, this cat is really a college fan. I think he said 92 days. And he didn't say, hey, Jeff, how you doing? What's going on? He walked by me. I walked by him. We sort of crossed paths, and he looked at me, and he said, 92 days, man, 92 days. That's all he said. Uh, 92 days, 92 days, and I knew exactly what he said. So 92, however many days less than that, that is now, that happened this week at the gym. I mean, college football, pros getting started. A lot of you follow pro football, NFL football. A lot of us, we love, uh, we love college ball. And uh, truth be told, all right, just to keep us all in check so we don't become a lot of religious, judgmental people ourselves, truth be told, there are those of us in this room namely the guy that's talking right now, who have sometimes prayed football prayers without a lot of deep conviction that God was going to answer those prayers. All right, like God, have you ever prayed? All right, maybe this is just me, but I, I suspect it's some of you as well. Have you ever prayed something like this? Now, God, our team's getting ready to play today. They're going to be playing. Uh, you know, they've got the 7:30 game. This is going to be it's so exciting, prime time. You know, got the meal cooked, getting rather to gather around. This is going to be a great time. Now, God. We get spiritual right before the game. God, it seems clear to me that you would want my team to win. I think, I mean, and then we take it another step. God, I think, I can't necessarily prove it, uh, you know, scientifically, but I have the hunch that there are more Christian players and coaches on our side of the field than the other side of the field. So obviously, God, we know who you want to win. You know, I, I mean, I make uh, the annual pilgrimage uh, in late October, early November to Jacksonville every year. Any of you know a game happens in Jacksonville late October? And, and I just sit there sometimes. You know, pregame, I like to show up early, sort of watch what's going on. It's getting ready for kickoff. Clock is counting down, watching. And then, then I have this thought, God, you and I know who ought to win this game today. God, 
You and I, nobody else may know, but God, you and I know the G on that red helmet, it doesn't stand for Georgia. You know, and I know it stands for you. That means God. How many of you know I'm chasing a trail right now? How many of you think I need to get back to the topic? But it did feel good. I'll tell you that. It felt good. And you know what I know? If you were doing this right now, you'd be doing the same thing. So back at you. (laughs) But the real issue, and I want to mention it early in this series, is not although it's in the title. The real issue is not religion. And the real issue that we're going to speak to in the month of June is not a religious system or a tradition. The real issue, and it's why I'm so excited about this series, is who is God? Who is God? Is he out there? Does he hear me? And some of you are saying, wow, you know, Jeff, I think about that sometimes. Does he really hear me? I have good people, good people that have grown up in church that says, you know, sometimes I just wonder, does God hear me? I've had people say, I feel so guilty. They've said something like this. Pastor Jeff, I feel so guilty. Uh, other day I was at work. The other day I was at school and I just had this thought. My mom went, went, the, went with it for a while like, is there even a God? So the real issue is not a system or a tradition or a religion. The real issue is Does God know my name? Is he out there? Who is God? Does he really care about me? And the reason why so many people choose, I believe, to walk away from religion or bots up their faith is that somehow they've lost assurance. Maybe their journey has been one where they've had some unanswered prayers. Maybe they've had some unexplainable tragedies in their life. Maybe for them that they've got some lingering questions in their mind that they do not yet have answers to. Maybe there's been too much pain in their life and their family's life. And they're like, well, if God is such a good God and I see that, and they're just trying to sort all that out. Are they looking at abundance of religions all over the world? And they're like, all right, I've got this group saying they're right. This group saying they're right. This group saying they're right. And everybody thinks they're right. And if everybody's right, Not everybody can be right. So if who's right and who's wrong, and there's all these religions, which one is correct? And yet deeply ingrained in their heart and their mind are these thoughts that they come back to at the end of the day. Is there a God? And can can this God be known? And is this God listening to me? And can I trust him? I'm really, if you can't tell by now, I'm really excited about this series. I think by the time we get to the end of today, you're going to say, wow, there's somebody that I need to bring with me, a family member, a friend, a coworker next week. But beginning today, because today is just sort of the intro, I'm just introducing the series. Today's just sort of getting us started. Uh, Beginning today, but especially during the series over the next three weeks, we're going to discover that perhaps what has actually been occurring is that maybe we have been looking for God in all of the wrong places. Maybe we've got friends in our life that they've been looking for God and they've got questions. They're like, you know what? It's not that I'm mad at Jesus or I'm not, I, you know, I'm not marching against the church or I'm not, you know, mad at anybody. It's not that I don't believe that God, but you know, uh, what about this? What about, and you're like, wow, those good questions. And, and there's people, you've got friends that are looking for God, but some of those friends are maybe looking for God without all due respect in the wrong places. Maybe you got people in your own family. Certainly there are people scattered all over the world that that would be sort of the reality for their life. So today we're just kicking it off 
And for this morning, I want to check out an event that some of you have studied, you've read it, but I want to talk about it in a little bit more detail for about the next 18 or 19 minutes. I want to talk to you about an event out of the New Testament that involves this guy by the name of, of Paul. He's like outside of Jesus, like the most prolific uh, church person in the New Testament. And uh, Paul is going to tell his story, and we'll come to the passage in just a few moments, where he actually deconverted from his religion. And it's a fascinating story. Some of you have read it, and then you're going to see things stay, and you're going to be like, wow, I didn't even realize that. I never thought about that. And we're going to journey into it. It's a fascinating story. But uh, before we get there, do you realize, and this is sort of Paul's, it sort of leads us into where he's at. Do you realize this, that if you ever commit to something, you actually have to decommit from something else? Now, in Paul's case, he committed to become a Christian, all right? Most of you know that. Paul made a commitment to become a Christian, but in order for Paul to make that kind of commitment to become a Christian, he had to decommit from something else. In order for him to become a follower of Jesus, he actually had to deconvert from traditional Judaism. And this happens, you know, historically around 50, 50 to 55 AD or so, just a few years actually after the time of Christ, a couple of decades after that. And the Bible actually comes along. This is around 50. I'm just setting it up so you know the context. This is around 50 to 55 AD. The Bible actually comes along about 200 years after this as a collection of all these reliable and ancient documents are connected together in what we now have as the New Testament. The New Testament is sort of connected to the Old Testament and all that's sort of packaged together and that's where we get our Bible. So Paul tells us, his deconversion story, and I'll tell you the chapter uh, and, the, uh, and the book, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 26, and Paul gets into a story. Now, what do you need to know about Paul if you don't already know about Paul? Uh, before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was a very, very religious guy. I told, he's, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You're going to see this. He doesn't like Jesus. He doesn't like Christians. You're going to see the extreme measures that he took. But he is a very, very religious guy. He's probably, he's probably the most religious guy in his whole region at that time. He is very religious. He is an Orthodox Jew. And during that time, uh, Saul, who became Paul, uh, Saul uh, really believed with all of his heart that Christianity was a cult. He believed Christianity was a cult. He despised Christians, and he adamantly opposed anything that seemed to be in opposition to what he embraced in terms of his own religion, Judaism. In fact, anything that was a threat to uh, Judaism, Paul became an enemy to that. In fact, Paul, and, and I use this this term carefully, but Paul is like one of the first religious terrorists that we're ever introduced to because he actually has Christians killed. He terrorizes Christians. When the, when the New Testament uh, is put together and we read in the Bible about the very first Christian martyr after the time of Christ, guess who was standing there giving his approval, his assent to this Christian being murdered 
for his faith in Jesus, for being a follower of Jesus. Who's standing there? Saul is standing there. He's like a religious terrorist. He is on a mission. He is incredibly zealous in doing his part, his absolute best, his high energy, high achieving kind of guy. But he wants to rid the earth of everything that smacks of Christianity, and he wants to rid the earth of those who embrace the message and the ministry of Jesus. Now, so that's, that's Paul. Now, here's the shocker, and here's what he's going to talk about in Acts 26. This is a shocker. This, this, is, so, this is so unbelievably mind-blowing that when this happens, a lot of people uh, don't even believe that it happens. Paul is traveling because, remember, he wants to stamp out Christianity. It's a threat to Judaism, and he's a very religious guy. And he's like doing everything. He gets some paper signs so that he can go to Damascus so that he can take Christians that are there, anybody that he finds, men, women, doesn't matter, round them up if they're Christians, have them put into prison. Again, he's already been involved in martyring uh, Christians, so he's not opposed to that idea otherwise, but he is on a mission. While he is on his way to Damascus, he has this amazing encounter with the resurrected Jesus and now from that, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, he is going to actually begin to spread the very message that he tried his best to stop. So we pick up there. One day, Paul is back in Jerusalem because Saul sort of becomes Paul. Just so when you're like, okay, Saul, Paul, uh, he becomes a, a, a Paul after he becomes a Christian. And um, he, he is in Jerusalem. And one day while he's in Jerusalem, He's going to do some teaching now about Christianity, which he has hated, but now he embraces. And he stands up in the temple and he publicly and boldly proclaims that he too is now a follower of Jesus. And when this happens, to say that it created unbelievable tension and chaos and things that are out of control, because you've got this guy who's been like a ring leader in his own religion, and now he has become a follower of Jesus, and now he's standing up and talking, you know, like a follower of Jesus would talk. When that happens, listen now, the Jews become violently angry, and they throw him out of the temple. But it doesn't end there. It is so chaotic. The Roman government comes in, and they become involved in this. And so now they arrest Paul, and they actually mistreat Paul, and that becomes a huge mistake because Paul, and this is sort of the catch, Paul is actually a Roman citizen, not because he acquired it, buying it, or influence, and that gets in, we're not even getting into that today, but he was born a Roman citizen. So the Roman government arrests Paul and mistreats Paul, and then in the matter of that, it comes up, Paul's like, hey, by the way, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? They're like, hey, what do you mean you're a Roman citizen? And they're like, the ones, <clears throat> excuse me, who are mistreating him, they're like, hey, um, how did you get your citizenship? We acquired ours. We bought ours. He's like, well, that's not how it happened for me. I actually was born. And now they've got this massive dilemma on their hand because you could not abuse one of your own citizens. And they've already done this with, with Paul. So now we go from there. They take him. Remember, he's thrown out of the temple by the angry Jews because of his message. And now a follower of Jesus. He's arrested by Rome, mistreated by Rome. He's a Roman citizen. And so they take him to King Agrippa, who is actually, and I'm not going to hang out here long, but King Agrippa, 
just so that you can connect the dots, is actually the grandson of King Herod. How many of you remember King Herod around the time of Jesus' birth? King Herod is the one that wanted to kill Jesus. He couldn't find Jesus, so he kills all the little boys in and around that vicinity, all right? So that's, that's what he wants to do. So that's the grandson. Now, standing before Agrippa with his friends and colleagues, Agrippa's friends and colleagues listening in, Paul tells his deconversion story. And again, this is just intro today. And he explains to them the reason why he became a follower of Jesus, the very one that Rome, they had crucified, and the very one that he had tried to decimate, at least his movement, which was called the way, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So uh, he's just trying to stamp out Jesus' movement. So all that to say... Now here we join Paul in Acts chapter 26, verse 9. He's standing before Agrippa. People are leaning in, looking in, because this guy who had been a terrorist against Christianity is now actually a Christian. Verse 9. Look on the screen. You know the setting. He says, standing before Agrippa, a lot of other people listening in, Agrippa's friends, colleagues, other political leaders, religious leaders. And he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible, read these yellow words with me, everybody, read these words with me, to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Agrippa and the others like, yeah, we know that, Paul. We know that about you. We're very familiar with you. You're well known in these parts. We all know you. We know who you are. We know what you've done. We know your story. And that's why we're confused. Really, Paul, that's why we sort of called you in today, because we're really confused, because you've done like a 180. You've done like a about phase, and you've hated Christianity, and now you're saying you're a follower of the one who's the leader of Christianity? Look at the next verse, verse 10. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem, he said. On the authority of the chief, chief priests or religious leaders, not Christian leaders, but religious leaders, he said, I put many of the saints, he's talking about Christians here in prison, and when, look at this, and when they were put to death, when they were martyred because of their faith, read this last phrase with me, everybody, help me out, I cast my vote against them. I cast my vote. Paul was putting Christians to death. I want you to think about this and see if this sounds familiar, even in the culture and world that we're living in today. Paul was putting Christians to death while thinking all the while that he was doing God a favor. What was he doing? He was looking for God in all the wrong places. Every time he would throw Christians into prison, men or women, every time he would be standing there giving his assent and approval for another Christian to be murdered, the whole time he was thinking, God, I know you're proud of me. God, you've got to be really happy with me. God, I know that this is making you as, as glad as it's making me. Here's the problem. Here's the problem not only Paul had, but a lot of people have. you got to hear this. A lot of people for, are looking for God, and they're sincere, and they're religious. And I'm not picking on anybody, and I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just saying they're looking in all the wrong place. And we get this from Paul. Look at the next couple of verses, all right? Check this out. This is verse 11. Many a time. I love that phrase, many a time. I didn't even know many a time was in the Bible. Many a time. You know where I first heard many a time? Many a time I heard that from my paternal grandfather. There are two things that my grandfather would say that is stuck with me from the time I was a child. He, he would say many a time. He'd look at me and say, Jeff, 
many a time. So when I read this for the first time in the Bible, I thought, well, this portion of Scripture was written in South Georgia. But it wasn't. It was in the Middle East. Here's the other thing that I remember about my grandfather. He would take words that were plural, and he would make them singular. All right? I can remember, remember Dr. Hackett, him doing this a million times. He'd look at me, and he'd say something like this. Hey, son. Hey, Jeff. Boy, I remember way back then, I bet it was about 30 year. Uh, it was singular. It was, should have been plural, but it was, he made it singular. About 30 year ago, about 30 years ago. So I remember my grandfather saying many a time, and I remember him taking words like that. Now, I haven't found, um, you know, singular words in the Bible that should have been plural, but that's just sort of my grandfather's thing. Well, back to this. Uh, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme God. In my obsession, and that's how he was. I mean, this guy is so bent on destroying Christians. In my obsession, and that's an understatement, by the way, against them, I even went to foreign cities to per persecute them. I wasn't just like content to take care of the people that lived in the region where I was. I got documentation uh, from the chief priest going to these other surrounding areas where I heard that there were Christians because, again, I, I wanted to stamp out Christianity. I wanted to get rid of all followers of Jesus, all followers of the way. So I'd get my papers out. And remember where he was when he has this encounter with Jesus? He's on his way to Damascus because he's going to destroy Christians there. So he's just telling what most of them in that room knew about him. I even went to foreign cities. Look at the next part, verse 12. On one of these journeys, now he's getting to his encounter. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. And this is where everything changes. You got to see this. Within the, uh, with the authority and commission of the chief priest, about noon, O king, who's the king? Help me out. Agrippa. O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And Paul would have said, hey, by the way, time out, time out. Listen. Uh, if you don't believe me, these companions, the guys who were there with me that day, they're around. We can round them up. They'll give testimony to this, that this happened exactly the way I'm telling you. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, and this is Aramaic. So in case King Agrippa, you're wondering what this was, it was in Aramaic, and here's what the voice said. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, confession, because this happened to me for a long, long time. Um, I'd read the Bible, and I'd come to that place, and it would say, all right, I get it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, don't you know that it's hard to kick against the goads? Because I'm admitting it ahead of time. How many of you have ever read that verse and said, I don't, what does it even mean to kick against the goads? I, I don't need, has that ever happened to you or is that just me? What does it mean to kick against the goads? And you've got to under, understand the culture. A, a goad at this particular time is like a really long stick uh, with metal on the end of it. And it would be used, um, think of more of it like a spear. And it would be used to move large animals. They would be goaded. They would be, you know, they'd be sort of hit with a stick to get a large animal to move. Because you typically couldn't say to a large animal, hey, could you just slide over here to the right? And so you'd have to move them. And Jesus is actually saying, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, you'll see in just a moment what Saul asks. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, let me bring that up to our modern vernacular, our modern culture. You know what Jesus is saying right here? Uh, Paul, in this case Saul, 
you're fighting a losing battle. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You're just wasting time. You're spending all your energy. Uh, Saul, I want you to know, who's about to become Paul, I want you to know you are fighting a losing battle. This is not going to work. I know what you've been doing. You know what you've been doing. It's a lost cause. Look at the next verse, verse 15 and 16. Then I ask, when this is all playing out, again, this is on the way to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? And look at the response. I am Jesus. I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. And Paul, remember the setting. Paul's saying all of this to Agrippa and all of his colleagues and friends and everybody that's gathered uh, on this occasion. Now get up and stand on your feet. How many of you know that when Jesus in a blinding light that knocked him off the horse, everybody's on the ground. How many of you know that when Jesus said, then get up and get on your feet, how many of you think that Paul did not hesitate? That he got up, got on his feet. He said, I've appeared to you to appoint you. This is really important as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and of what I will show you. So this is his story. King Agrippa, he's standing there. Ah, I know you've got to be confused. I know, hey, all you who are listening to me, I know you've got to be confused. To be quite honest, I'm confused myself. Because this faith that I was going after, all these Christians that I hated, this movement, the way that I hated, you know I was doing my best. I was ring leader. I wanted to destroy it. I was very sincere. But now I realize that I was sincerely wrong. I was extraordinarily religious. I was extremely zealous. I was over the top committed. But how I viewed God was completely inaccurate. I was looking for God in all the wrong places. And then in verses 17 and 18, and with this we're going to start wrapping up because we're about out of time. Verses 17 and 18, this is, now, Paul, and they're all leaning in like, this can't be, and they're all like, you, and, and he's like, yeah, this is my story, and then he said, oh, by the way, I need to let you know, while all this is playing out, Jesus gave me a promise, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, I'm sending you, this is Jesus, this is that encounter on the way to Damascus, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. This is so, so, so important so that they may receive forgiveness of sin. And that's the real big deal here. Jesus is saying to Paul, Paul, I'm sending you out to all kinds of people who have been raised in all kinds of different ways and different traditions and different religions who believe all kinds of things. And what we see in this last phrase, friends, of this last verse is actually the starting point of knowing and understanding God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sin. So let's close with this. Every person, would you agree, needs forgiveness? I mean, we just need forgiveness in life. All of us. You and I, you know, we've never met. We, nor anybody we've ever met, stand beyond the reality of needing forgiveness. We've all needed somebody to forgive us. I mean, just think about it in your own life. And I'm out of time, so I've got to say this really, really quick. I mean, how many of you would admit that you have at times fallen short of what is your own standard for your life? And you know you have anytime you've ever said or thought something like this. I can't believe I did that. May I ask? I'll go ahead and volunteer my hand so you don't feel intimidated. Have you ever fallen short of your own standard? Wave at me if you have. And all of us have. But it doesn't stop there. We have certainly fallen short of the expectations of others. How do you know that you've ever fallen short of the expectations of somebody? 
is if you've ever had to look somebody in the eyes and say, you know what, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. We not only fall short of our own standards, we fall short of the expectations of others, and without a doubt, we've all fallen short of God's standard as well. And yet, Paul stands up, and he says, you know what, we've all, Romans, writing later, these believers living in Rome, Christians, he's now been walking with Jesus. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet forgiveness is available to all of us. I'm so excited we're going to be talking about this. And this is just intro. You've got to be here next week. We'll pick up here. I want to encourage you. Maybe somebody crossed your mind as, you know, we were walking through Acts 26 today, and you're like, ooh, I probably need to get them here, you know, for this. And I hope you will. I hope you'll bring them because I think God is more than willing to do something amazing to reveal himself through Jesus to the people that you, you and I know and love. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and we know this, that whenever forgiveness is found, Whenever forgiveness is found, a, a relationship is formed or a relationship is healed, and we're so grateful to you for that. And could it be, God, that some of us that are right here, right now, that we've been looking for you in the wrong places? And the reality is we've, we maybe have thought, well, you know, why did that happen and why did this happen? And I pray this prayer and this is what somebody told me and this is what I heard and why are all the, these, these religions and, you know, why... Why do tragedies happen? Why are there evil people? Why does it seem? And we've, God, maybe we've just rambled on through a lot of those kind of things, and you, you just bring us back to this reality that we need to look for you in the right place. And thank you to all of us because all of us have missed the mark of our own standard. All of us have offended others and needed to get their forgiveness, and all of us have offended you, and we need your forgiveness. So, Jesus, you offer to us today not religion and not traditions, and not rules, but you offer to us forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, and we all have done that. So God, we thank you that that is available to us. While your head are, heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you just, I'll make it really, really, really simple. If you just say, Jeff, I need God's forgiveness, lift up your hand, straight up in the air, straight up in the air, straight up in the air, real high, real high. Jeff, I need God's forgiveness in my life right now. I need God to forgive me. And Lord, we just pray that because we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We need forgiveness. We sin all the time. We hate it that we sin as much as that we do, as much as we do. And we just pray that you'd forgive us. Thank you, God. As we mentioned earlier, that you placed all of our sin upon your son, Jesus. And so Jesus bridges the chasm between us and you because he took our sin upon himself. And we're so thankful for that. And we just want you to know, God, we're sorry. We've sinned. We need your forgiveness. Thank you for what you're going to teach us and help us learn during this month. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. I'll see you next Sunday. Bring somebody with you.